Hello everyone and welcome to episode 4 of the Single Seater Space podcast. In our final episode of 2022, we're going to be running through the awards for the best and worst of what this calendar year has had to offer in the world of single seaters and motorsport. We've got a few categories from best race, biggest upcoming star, the biggest clown moment, the worst race, with lots of others as we discuss everything that happened in 2022 with cars with engines and four wheels. We hope to see you in 2023 where we'll hit the ground running with plenty of weekly podcasts and content on all of our social media channels at Single Seater Space and our website singleseaterspace.co.uk. Enjoy. And for the final episode of 2022, we thought we're going to do a motorsport awards, mainly single seaters. But as you'll see, there is a couple of ones where non-single seater action takes control of this awards ceremony. But we're going to look back at some of the best and worst moments of 2022. So we're going to start with the only place that we can start, which was what was the best four wheeled race of 2022? Taryn, what do you think? Uh, We've got two nominees. Uh, we've Silverstone in the F1, and we've got Brazil in Formula One. Both races stood out. They just produced so much action. We'll get to Silverstone a bit in a bit. Uh, they were both just brilliant races, and just stood out for all both of us. I think. Well, yeah, I think they were certainly a thrill because. We've spoken a few times, I think this is the most common theme on this podcast is talking about Brazil in comparison to Abu Dhabi and how it was a separate sport um, and, you know, we, we've we've talked about it a little bit, but it was just such amazing action, pretty much from lap one. Uh, we had so many battles, we had uh, incidents, we had drama, we had controversy and with Formula One being the pinnacle of motorsport, I guess having it being the best race at the top was excellent. And then Silverstone as well, a little bit of a slow burner to start with, although no less dramatic after lap one of the original race than when it actually got re-underway. I thought it was really good, and we got such great action right until the flag. Yeah, I mean, Silverstone, we started with that horror crash, which obviously Joe Guanyu kind of cartwheeling over the wall almost well amongst spectators well not quite amongst spectators but it was um it just demonstrated the dangers that we've got in our sport but ultimately it demonstrated how great the halo is um the halo has saved a number of lives already um but it was great to see it being used and thankfully him coming out safe and sound um, but then after that, we saw a load of action. We saw signs go off at Muggins and Beckett's and Verstappen taking the lead. We then see Verstappen going slowly and then signs retaking the lead um, before we learned that Verstappen had damage. I, I can't remember from where he got it. He said he had a puncture or something and he pitted and they found that he had floor damage. But um, further on in the race, we had through goes Hamilton. We'll get onto that a bit later. <laughs> Um, but it demonstrated how great the 2022 regulations have been to our sport. Um, we saw so much close, so much more closer racing, and we saw that the tiniest of mistakes were easily were easily punished. And nevertheless, the safety car late on, uh, definitely, um, we saw Ferrari having another strategic. Blunder, if you like, with uh, Charles Leclerc. Um, 
who did actually a pretty superb job on those old hard, old on those old old hard tires and uh his around the outside of cops overtake on lewis was um perhaps probably the one of the best overtakes that we saw that season no i totally agree i thought the battling after the safety car was immense because we had five drivers from five separate teams and you could have thrown a blanket over them uh, on lap 46, which is exactly what we wanted to see from second down to sixth. Five different constructors with five different philosophies in their cars, but all being so close on track was awesome. So Silverstone was great. And then I guess across the pond, we've got some honourable mentions. Um, the Indy 500 always produces and um, this year more than ever. Um, was amazing because we had a dominant team coming to Indy, which we sometimes do. Chip Ganassi had four of the top six in qualifying, locked out the front two positions on the front row, and it looked like it would be a breeze for Chip Ganassi racing. They even planned for it to be a breeze. They had Dixon and Pelot swapping at the start to try and save fuel. But in the end, it was the Ganassi that nobody had talked about that ended up winning in some of the most dramatic action, which again we'll get onto at the end of the season. So um, the Indy 500 always produces, and a couple of weeks earlier, in a rainy Indianapolis this time, the GMR Grand Prix was thrilling viewing. I had no idea what was going on. Who was in the best place, on the right tyres, with the right amount of fuel, at the right time. Nobody except Colton Herter knew what was going on, and... That brings us on to one of our two main nominations for best drive of the season. Colton Herter at the GMR Grand Prix absolutely blew the field away. He pulled off the best save of 2022, which we haven't got written down as an award, but we could give it as an award. It was some real Mario Kart stuff to save his car from spinning and perhaps stalling. We saw Pelot stalled and was out that race early, and so unbelievable that one and then the other nomination was Verstappen in Belgium which was just inevitable I think that's the only word even when he finished qualified 14th because he had those penalties he was going to win it was just so inevitable yeah he just Max at Belgium was the best driver of the season mainly because he was so dominant despite having started 14th on the grid I think he was in the points I think it was like P7 by the end of lap 8, or in the lead quarter of the way into the race. Um, and then he just blew everyone away with how fast that Red Bull was that weekend. I know the straight line speed of it was the best on the grid that day, but we just saw how much skill Max Verstappen has that day. His overtaking was clean that day. He made move around the outside of Charles at no name, which we don't see that often. And then he just took the lead and just dominated the race from there. I think he was a second a lap quicker than Checo Perez at I think throughout the whole race each lap. And he just won it. Yeah, and even better was the fact that he was playing 4D chess throughout that race because he chucked the tear off that ended up in Leclerc's wheel, which meant he had to pit. So despite the fact they were very close on track, Charles under the safety guard to go to last. So not only was he playing 4D chess, but he was also on absolute rails around Spa. Pretty much a second home race for him, and 
it was mesmerizing. Again, we've got some more honorable mentions. You want to talk about Alex Albon, your beloved Alex Albon in Australia. And then we can talk about David Malukas at Worldwide Technology Raceway in August because we had a great time listening to him singing You Spin Me Right Round before just casually making his way up to second in the rain-affected race down at Gateway, which I thought was really good, despite the fact that it finished at about 3.38 in the morning, UK time, and it was a Monday and I had work the next day. But that's not the point. The point is it was great viewing. And, um, yeah, talk about talk to me about Alex Albon, Taron. Oh, let's, let's admit it. The Williams car this year wasn't best. Uh, it was a bit of a track in the corners. Whilst very slippery in a straight line, ultimately in F1 being fast through the corners always matters and especially at australia that day we had alex starting p20 dead last on the grid and ultimately i think we saw some of the best strategic um moves of the season that day where he started on hard compound tires and then they just left him out there until the very last lap where they pit him as is uh, mandatory in f1 it's in the regulations you have to pit at some point on the race on to to use a different compound of tire but i think ultimately that day we saw alex show what we well what i've known he's been capable of um but what he's shown in junior formulas where he was matching i think he matched the pace of esteban ocon who had pitted he was on much fresher tyres compared to Alex. He was on 50 lap hold hard compound tyres. And he just kept that Williams on the track and drove quick. And that's what he did pretty excellently throughout the entire season. I won't talk about much more about it because I could talk about it for about a year. Um, but Alex Albon, Australia, what a guy, what a drive. No, it was very, very, it was very, very consistent, quick, and he really delivered when Williams needed him the most. And I guess in comparison, we're going to talk about the biggest clown moment of the season, and that award can go to his teammate for making up the wrong track in Japan and then blaming the car. I had an engine failure. <laughs> I agree. I admit that the visibility in Suzuka that day wasn't the best. But you can't go the wrong way, turn in 50 metres, 100 metres. I don't know where that little bit of track goes. 100 metres too early and then blame the car. It really was mesmerising. It wasn't like um, Kimi Raikkonen in Brazil 10 years ago where he took the wrong route but then kept going because he thought there was a way round and that was yeah. actually the support race paddock no 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 no. this was just sheer incompetence unfortunately for poor nicholas latifi he just went the wrong way and blamed the car it was it was a comedy of errors yeah the japan race weekend in general was a was a bit of a clown weekend in general let's be honest because we started the race weekend with nicholas latifi making that pretty horrific error but then I'll, I'll try and not have a rant about the FIA, but their race, the race directing during the actual race, putting a tractor onto a track that was, let's be honest, it was soaking wet and the drivers had next to no visibility so much that it was red flagged. But then putting a tractor onto the actual track whilst you've still got the drivers going, going, driving around it, 
we know how bad we we've seen previous instance of how bad having a tractor on the track whilst the drivers are still on it can be and we know that the FIA can learn from their errors we've seen this this year already that they have learned a few of their errors from the previous season but that stood out as the previous time it happened we had the worst instant I think we've seen in our lifetimes um and in Japan no less as well yeah, in Japan, and um, yeah, that was drills. that was the biggest thing. Yeah, yeah. So just didn't it learn. was disappointing. And the honourable mention, of course, for clown moments goes to the Ferrari strategists every single weekend, especially Hungary. That was my personal favourite. But um, yes, no, the Ferrari strategists every single race weekend gets yeah, a very honourable mention. But yeah, the FIA in Japan. Not, not that one's not really a clown moment because the clown moment's more just a fun thing. It was just that moment in particular is just more just brainless and farcical. Um, but yeah, the handling of Japan in general, the clown moment along with Latifi. I guess we move on to the biggest upcoming star, which we can talk about too. Felipe Drogovic blew the competition away in Formula Two, wrapped it up around early, which pretty much is unheard of in this championship because the cars are obviously equal, as equal as they possibly can be in a spec series. And that was so impressive because in people's predictions, they didn't really have Drogovic as the man that was just going to grip the championship and not let go. It was so impressive. Yeah, he just, he was just so, he was just, he he kept driving at, a speed which we haven't really seen from any other driver. I mean, he he just blew the field away with his consistency week in, week out, collecting point after point after point. I mean, I know people were talking about Theo Porcher going to the season, and even out of the season, we're still talking about Theo Porcher. He should have an F1 drive one day. But I think Felipe, he hasn't really been talked about in terms of an F1 seat. I, would, I think, actually, if we saw Theo Porcher winning the season by that amount we would see Theo Pochet in an F1 drive this season. But yeah, we have Felipe Drogovic. Yes, he's a, he's got a reserve drive at Aston Martin for next year. But he's he's just quite he just quietly won that season in such a calm manner and with such consistency that he just isn't really talked about so much. And so that's why I felt that we needed to talk about him. Well, yeah, he was just quietly efficient, I think. And when I say efficient, I mean the utmost efficiency that you can possibly have. It was amazing. Um, And then the other one, I guess, is Kimi Antonelli competing in 35 Formula 4 races. Uh, I didn't watch much of Italian F4. I did watch some. And he won 21 out of the 35 Italian and German Formula 4 races this season. And on a side note, a couple of weeks ago, it was announced the German ADAC F4 will not be continuing, which is a shame, but... um, I think that's kind of been the way for a couple of years. The numbers have been dwindling. The Italian F4 is the opposite. The numbers are booming. There are so many cars on that grid. Um, But back to Antonelli, he won 21 out of 35 races this season and finished on the podium 27 out of 35 races. One for the future. Yeah, I mean, we've seen how current F1 drivers have done in their junior careers. And I actually can't really think of anyone else apart from, I think Charles Leclerc in his Formula 2 season was pretty 
pretty incredible. But then you've got Kimi Antonelli, who is, let's be honest, he's blown the entire F1 motorsport world away with how amazing he's been. 27 podiums in 35 races isn't a very rare thing to get. And um, definitely, in my opinion, he has to probably be the best upcoming star that we've seen this year. Not since Lewis Hamilton's Formula 3 campaign in, I think, I'm going to say 2005, have we seen that kind of level of dominance. So... Mercedes have picked him up in their academy. I guess one for the future. We don't want to put too much pressure on the young lad's shoulders, but um, one for the future. And with only a few categories left, we've got a few best ones, and then we've got some really bad ones. So we'll start with the really bad one, which is the worst race of the season. I'm going to pitch a couple, in because worst is quite loose. We'll say Miami and Abu Dhabi in terms of drama and lack of... Because in the other categories that we look at, we look at Junior Formula E and we look at IndyCar. There wasn't another bad one. I mean, something like the Barber Motorsports Park race at in Indy. Dylan really enjoys that one. I don't know why. I didn't really enjoy it so much because the strategy options were kind of ruined because they started the race wrong. But different story. Um, I'd say Nashville was worst because I think we had nine cautions and it was a bit like a demolition derby. It was really bad. Like we had very little green flag action that was actually good. Um, I don't know. The Nashville Speedway is one and a half miles down the road. If you want to go like, please, please, because the circuit doesn't work. The cars, the cars just don't fit. The corners are such wide entry, such tight exits it just encourages someone to throw it down the inside and then the person on the outside is left stranded and I hate it. So Nashville in terms of driving standards maybe, but in terms of drama, Miami or Abu Dhabi, like pick your poison, lads. Which one? Abu Dhabi, I'd have to go for because at least in Miami we had that really weird incident with Lando, with Pierre Gasly. I remember Lando's tires had gone off the cliff or something. And then Pierre, he, t- he took his rear wheel off or something like that. Um, boss, in Abu Dhabi, we had not much. I can't remember much of Abu Dhabi apart from when Hamilton DNF tried at the end of it. it. Abu Dhabi is a bit of a weird one because, yes, we've seen the track change its layout to try and encourage good racing. I've... I've seen how good it can be, especially in junior formula categories where we see three wide, four wide moments going down the main straight. But in F1, we just have not seen Abu Dhabi perform. And it is a bit of a curious case. And especially this year, with we have new, with new, new regulation cars, it just didn't perform. And ultimately, it was a really sad end to what has been a pretty active and pretty decent season for action it just felt flat i think that was the thing the championship was wrapped up but we've had championships wrapped up before going to abu dhabi i feel like the 2018 race was slightly more exciting um and yes it did rain with about three drops of rain which was a success in 2018 as well but it just felt really flat this year um I don't know. Uh, I don't know what it is about the track, but something is fundamentally wrong. 
and I don't know. I don't like it. They had a blank piece of paper to draw the best circuits they could have possibly imagined and then built that. It was not good at all. But moving on from the best, sorry, the worst race of the season to some laps, individual laps. We'll have the best qualifying lap and then we'll do the best racing lap. So far away with your qualifying laps, which ones do you think were the best? So we were we had a look at Fernando Alonso at Canada, where um somehow we don't know how Fernando does it. He he just seems to be on a different planet sometimes. Uh, when he put his Alpine onto the front row in a wet qualifying session around Canada, with he just he's so incredible, Fernando. Uh, then we had um Dixon is uh his race run at the um Indy his qualifying run at the Indy five hundred to rate. I think it was the fastest ever run that we've ever seen at Indy. The fastest ever pole run is not the fastest ever run. That was Ari Leyendike, but with the rules that... I'm going to nerd out here. With the rules that were in place in 1996 when Leyendike did that run, he could only start 21st with that run. And so whilst his run of 236 miles an hour is the fastest, Dixon's of 234.046 is the quickest pole position run in history, and it was three miles an hour quicker than last year as well. So it was insane. Yeah, I mean, uh, I watched the Indy 500 this year for probably only the second time. It's the first time I've watched qualifying, but even I know how incredible that qualifying run was because nobody even got close to how good his run was. Um, And especially around the Indy 500, where, let's be honest, they're not really many factors that can affect how good your run is um you've got four corners straight lines and scott dixon just blew the field away he prepped his car so well he drove with the least amount of he's the Iceman. he drove with no fear um obviously at indy every corner is different and with the tires balancing off he because they did a new qualifying format this year his engine had just done a run so they had to do a cool down the hondas were able to back up their runs whereas the chevys well there was only one chevy in the top six any two chevys in the top six anyway but they weren't really able to back up their runs all of those things plus the Iceman in control it was unbelievable it was so fast so free he was on fire and yeah we won't see something I mean, he could go and do it next year, but it was so much quicker than Alex Pelot in second that it was just like, wow, how's he done that? Yeah, I mean, it is very rare when we see these kind of things. I mean, yes, we see Lewis Hamilton at Singapore 2018, but I feel that day you you the corners can actually make you can. There are factors where you can make up so much time. Whilst in IndyCar, especially at the Indy 500. It's all about car setup. It's all about how you prep your car up for your run. And he was it was beyond perfection. It was it was just brilliant. It was so fast. And from a qualifying lap to a racing lap, we've chosen two of the best racing laps. We've got lap forty five from Silverstone, which could have gone into lap forty six, because we talked about lap forty six where you could throw a blanket over the cars. But we think lap 45 was better because it started right from the very start with Perez attacking Leclerc down into 
Brooklands and then going all the way round and then we had three goes Hamilton at the final corner or the final laps of the Indy 500 or the last lap in Texas in the IndyCar some awesome ones which one do we think we should choose I mean lap 45 of Silverstone was a very special thing for any British fan to watch um one we saw Silverstone as a track performing probably the best we have seen in a very long time I can't remember the last time we saw five cars being separated by a blanket as you said James um and then again I've been talking about how minimal errors with these car regulations can produce amazing moments through goes Hamilton has to be one of those moments because we saw Charles Leclerc going side by side with Perez they're slowing each other up Leclerc, he had that inside line going into club, and then Perez, he he did cut the corner a little bit, pushed Leclerc wide, and then Hamilton just said, thank you very much, I see a gap, and he just went through, and it was utterly, it was utterly brilliant, and thank you very much for the commentary. Well, I didn't hear the commentary because uh, I was actually in stands at that point. Honestly, I have never heard anything like it um i've been to silverstone three times and when hamilton took the lead in 2021 passing leclerc at cops there was there was big celebrations but that was absolute pandemonium um it was like a foot it was like it felt like a football i don't know if it's anything new about like the formula one has just become more like football now with drive to survive just the quantity of fans the demographic of fans whatever but it was unbelievable. Um, it, everything, the spectators in the backdrop as well for the television, the commentary, the colours, three different, bright different colours. It was so good. And so that is one of our moments of the season. I guess we can't talk about it too much, but it still plays through in my head all the time. We normally talk about cars which have open tops on this podcast and four wheels, but there was one moment from a car with a lid that um that had four wheels that we thought was so important to talk about which was in the nascar playoffs ross chastain needing to finish in the top five running 10th on the white flag lap and pulling off a video game move to drive his car into the wall on the wall all the way around the outside and finishing fourth from 10th on the last lap was just unreal yeah, we don't really see much of that, especially in current formulas. <laughs> but you see, NAS- I mean, especially you got a load of bump drafting, which usually happens in NASCAR. But then you had Chastain just say, oh, wait, I think I need to try something a bit new here. And he just wall-rided. He just wall-rided. And it was possibly one of the best moves we're going to ever see. It was spectacular. And therefore, it has to be the best moment that we've seen all season. And he qualified for the playoffs with that move. Otherwise, he was missing out. His title hopes were slipping away and they kept them alive until the final one. Unfortunately for him, Joey Logano did win the last race. So it meant it was impossible for him to win the title. He did end up second. But that move, it was unbelievable. The drivers didn't enjoy it, but we did. Some of them were like, that was the coolest thing I've ever seen. Some of them were like... Uh, it's, it's a bit of embarrassment. No, 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 no. It wasn't embarrassing. We absolutely loved it. So that is, I think, surely our moments of the year. We love Through Goes Hamilton, but like to ride the wall, 
because you've done it in a video game, to the absolute audacity to then steam past six other cars on the last lap, there's nothing that's going to top that, at least for the next few years. We will not see that again in the context of that round as well. So I think that's everything for 2022. Thank you very much for joining Single Seater Space for this last part. I promise that whilst a lot of our members of team have been unwell and busy at the end of the season, as we start this off season, as we build up towards all the single seater formulas coming back in the new year, there'll be loads of content. There'll be podcasts weekly. There'll be TikToks. Yep. I know the TikTok account is going to be revived. Um, we haven't posted on there for 16 days, but we'll get back to it. Dylan and I have both been quite unwell. So uh, unfortunately, it's um, it, it's stagnated for a little bit. Uh, we thank Taryn for being on the podcast for the second week in a row. And um, we will see you all.